You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church, Salt Lake City. For more information on our church, go to c3saltlakecity.com. It's great to be at uh, C3 today, and and, uh, it was about a month and a half ago, I was in San Diego at a conference and got together with uh, Pastor Juergen and uh, just had a great time, and we were talking about my coming out here, and uh, I didn't just come out for you. I came out to go see the Utah Jazz play the Milwaukee Bucks. Woo! Now, I brought my brother, Jerry, and his son, Scott. Now, they are huge Milwaukee Bucks fans. The poor people. Are you a Bucks fan, too? Now, you're saying I'm not loyal because I'm a Jazz fan? Is that? Now, you understand, Becca, I was also Becca's pastor back in Green Bay. But... Um, I was out of years ago when they drafted Stockton and Malone, and I got hooked. And I'm, I'm, I'm really a secondary Bucks fan. But we had a great night. Bogdanovich hit a three with 1.2 seconds. Of course, my brother was crying foul. He, was, he didn't really travel. We're getting messed up here, you know. And You know, I was thinking as you go into these places, and, you know, I go to Lambeau Field. I was there for the Oakland game. And uh, you see all these people gathering to go to a sporting event. And I like going to sporting events. But you know what I, I, would excite me all the more is to see those kinds of crowds gathering to hear the gospel and to, and to plant the gospel message into people. Amen? And before I launch into that today, I want to bring you greetings from uh, my wife, Jan. Many of you know Jan. She worked with Mallory. She loves Mallory. She, Mallory does a great job in, in the kids' department. And to see her up here today sharing, and we were part of uh, starting this church many years ago. Chad and Amanda bring their greetings, and we're just excited to be here today. Uh, next Sunday, I'm preaching in Michigan. So I called Chad. I said, Chad, I don't want to drive up there. And I said, I'm going to rent a plane. He's going to fly me up there. And uh, it's going to save me a lot of time. He's graduating from flight school now in, in December, like seven months early. Uh, believe it or not, he's their top flight student. He's going to teach there and then get his stuff to go flying. And maybe we'll get him to move back here. And Because uh, he loves Utah just like I do. I love Wisconsin, but... I love Utah. In fact, when I was talking to Jan on the phone, she's always worried when I come back here that I'm going to catch the Utah fever. So I talked to her yesterday. She said, you're getting it a little bit? And I said, well, yeah, a little bit, you know, but I'm just an old tree that got transplanted back there. But today we're going to talk about how to make the local church great again. Are you with me? How do we make the local church great again? Now, you attend here. This is a great church. Uh, Vince but the bottom is, he wasn't just saying there are bigger churches here, but he believes this is the greatest church. Now, I was, as Mallory was doing her thing on, uh, on the offering, I got to thinking. You know, some of you ever watch Christian TV. Some of it's fairly crazy, right? I've been on a few of those programs, and then I watch them after, and I think, whoa, ho, baby. But let me just tell you this. You know, a lot of times these uh, evangelists or TV preachers will talk about a seed faith offering. Now, what you, and, and I remember, you know, how many remember the story of Johnny Appleseed, right? You remember that. I mean, you know, a seed is very, very powerful. But so many times we apply it, and not wrongly, toward giving. In fact, the Old Testament, Genesis says, time to plant, time to sow, time to harvest, seed time to harvest. Uh, that's what makes the world go around. But I really had this just little spark that I've never said this before, and I've been doing this uh, back since the ark landed on Ararat. All right? And the, the thing that hit me was, each one of you in this room is a gospel seed. 
And see, where so many churches miss it, we can come to church, party, I love great worship, I like excitement, and all of those elements, you'll see them. I mean, we had some reverse excitement going uh, at the jazz game. Jerry and Scott were excited about the Bucks. I was excited about the Jazz. They were definitely in the minority at that game, but if we had been in Milwaukee, it would have been the other way around. These people are excited because they got a team that's winning, right? And the Bucks are winning, and they're probably a better team than the Jazz. I don't know, but we are on the winning team. So here you have all of you sitting here, and you know they say, uh, uh, like you plant an apple seed, and all of a sudden you get an apple tree, you get all those apples, and in each apple there are seeds and how that goes. I have seen that in my life as far as planting seeds for Christianity. Really, that's what makes me tick. I, select, I mean, I am into sharing the gospel, creatively figuring out ways to reach people. And since we've been back in Wisconsin, our church had fantastic growth back there. Thousands of people attended that church. But everywhere I go now, People are saying, oh, Pastor Arnie, I got saved. I was coming out of a, a lounge in the airport in Minneapolis a couple of months ago, and a, a guy comes running. I was, Pastor Arnie. And I, I looked at him, and he, he was a, a kid in our church, and his whole family had gotten saved there. He said, hey, I'm in a church in Minneapolis. I'm on their team. I want to thank you because of your ministry. I want to, you know, all of a sudden, and, and I was preaching in a little town out in, uh, uh, outside of Green Bay called Pulaski. It's a Polish town. And uh, there's a, a church that's been established there, doing really quite well. And the lady gets up to give a, uh, uh, an announcement, and I couldn't remember her, but she said, oh, Pastor Arnie, I got saved at your church. The lady gets up to give a missionary out, and she says, oh, Pastor Arnie, it's so good to see you. I got saved at your church. And, and everywhere I go, and even in other churches, because churches spread out, people spread out, that isn't bad. You've had people that attend here and gone somewhere else. But as long as they're still serving the Lord, praise the Lord, we get so upset when someone leaves. You know, I, we spread, we helped a lot of churches grow at Green Bay. Sometimes people left because they were mad at me. I can never understand that, though. I'm such a nice person. Why that would happen. I was at the Oakland game, but every place we go should be a pulpit to minister. I was with my good friend, Jeff Gullickson, who attended our church, and now he moved to South Dakota. He's a good friend of Phil and Vince. And we're sitting at the Packer game, and there's a, a couple of uh, Oakland uh, Raider fans in front of us. This guy on my left, he's, he's he, uh, just the second to my left is a drunk. So he was drunk that day. And he found out who I was. He said, oh, man, I got saved one time. And he said, I still go to church, but I get drunk once a week. He said, what should I do? I had a chance to share with him, pray with him. The lady sitting in between had gone to church down in uh, Madison, but she got tripped up by what God told the, some of the people in the Old Testament, wipe out all of those people. And there's an answer to that, but I didn't have time to give it to her. But I said, I got a friend. I got her email information, sent it to her everywhere you go. Then the Oakland Raider fan, they were losing pretty bad. Uh, she said, can you pray for me? She wanted me to pray that the Raiders would do well. Well, that wasn't in my, you know, it wasn't right where I was at. I see that Chicago Bear fan sitting there, and I, I, I'm getting through it. But the point is this. Every place you go, you should realize that you're a seed that can explode to touch people for the gospel. And if we're going to make the local church great again, you see, here's the deal. Each one of you needs to explode and see tons of people in your spiritual downline. For those of you that were ever in, how many have ever been involved in a multi-level deal? Oh, well, there's a few of you. And maybe you're still at it, and some of them are good, some are bad. But anyhow, I got a lot of people in my spiritual downline. And that's, it isn't 
the size of the house, how much money I have, or anything else that counts, that's what counts. And that's what's missing in the church today. We should be exploding. We should have people sitting out in the parking lot cooking sausages before they come in here, running in to get seats, right? Being excited and bringing their friends. I've, over, I've shared the gospel since I've been here with people. I talked to a guy, and we went over to Denny's over on the other side of town. A guy came in, and, and we were waiting to get seated. Normally, I don't wait to get seated at Denny's, but I was hungry, and it's cheap. Anyhow, so talking to this guy, I said, and, and they were really nice people, and we're saying, what, he said, what are you doing here? I said, went to the jazz game. I'm preaching at this church. He said, I'm an agnostic. I said, I can help you with that. <laughs> and bam, we just talked a little bit, and he said, can I get your information? I want to talk more to you. So Jeff gave him a card, and uh, we're going to get a hold of him and talk to him. People are hungry. And, he, you know, he's mad at the, 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 the major church around here because of stuff that happened to him in that church. And, you know, we have got to be exploding seeds. And really, if you guys will listen to this message and begin to grasp what I want to teach you, just three little points, and become that seed that, not, that explodes. See, a lot of us want to plant a seed. Let's, let's, you know, I just finished giving my vision pledge this morning. Now, when we were here, Jurgen spoke. I didn't, wasn't able to come to the banquet. And he's talking about you guys giving a commitment. Now, let me tell you, when we started this church, I gave almost every cent of my retirement to this church. Tens of thousands and thousands of dollars to keep it rolling. So I'm sitting there, why should I give any more? But then the Lord spoke to me to, to plant another seed, and I'm seeing miraculous things happening. I'm a tither. I, I don't rob from God. In fact, the tithe isn't yours, it's God's. And if you keep it, you're robbing from God. I'm sorry, that's just what the Bible says. I gotta tell you the truth. As most of you know, I have the gift of irritation. So if, if you're irritated, I'm leaving town. But the reality is this. So many times we're all excited. You give money and, you, and God blesses. And I could tell you story after story how God has blessed me for giving everything away a couple, three, four times and how he sustained me at my age. But here's the deal. The, and, and you think about that, and we get excited, and we stretch our faith. Some of you stretched your faith to give the vision builders way beyond. You need a miracle to get the money. Right, Vince? Right. I'm sure you did. I don't know. But where are you going to start stretching your faith to plant seeds into the kingdom, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, and into your school? If we're going to make the uh, local church great again. Now, let's, let's attack this. Now, I borrowed my brother's cheaters. I had cataract surgery a few years ago. I didn't even know I had cataracts. I thought cataracts were milky eyes like my dogs, the old dogs used to have. And then I got cataract surgery and I can see like a hawk, unless it's a little dim. And I brought a, a, a small print Bible. My brother's here. He just had cataract surgery. I guess it runs in the family. And so he borrowed me his cheaters, but I don't like the looks of them. So I'm going to tell you what the scripture says. I'm going to paraphrase. But here's the deal. One of the things, it's interesting when I had the cataract surgery, I didn't realize that my sight was dimmed. I had some tests, and I realized that there were some things missing. And uh, when I got them, man, my eyes brightened up. We were living here. I had it done in hoops. And uh, my neighbor said, hey, Arnie, you're not wearing glasses anymore. And I said, and his name was Sean. He was a real rounder. I tried to, I tried to lead him to the Lord. Man, we had great conversations. I believe he's going to get saved at some point. He said to me, he said, he said, does that stuff really work? I said, oh, man, Sean, I thought you were a black guy before. And now, now I can see you're a white guy. But you know what I think 
we need spiritual cataract surgery to see the lostness that is going on in your neighbors, your workplace, and your family. Now, how do we get, how do we get to that point? A lot of people that have known knowing me for a long time think, well, that's just Arnie. That's just him. I was the shyest kid in our family. I was always a touch funny to sort of try to cover that. You know, I'd come up with funny stuff just to try to get in. But see, when God gets in your heart and you begin to realize that he wants to see this region led to Christ. This is not the easiest area. Uh, there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of spiritual opposition to what you're trying to do here. But God is beginning to crack through. 120 people in the book of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit, spilled out, evangelized the entire continent of Europe in three years without rapid transit, without social media, without cell phones, without fast motorcycles, without fast cars. How did they do it? And the book of Acts says about those people, they that have come here have turned the world upside down. Now, see, we need to break through. And, and when I say this is a great church, I think God is really watering, nourishing, and doing stuff to your seed. Now, you can worship, you can speak in tongues, and you can have miracles. But all of that stuff is to lead and bring attention to Jesus Christ. Now, you might feel better if you're healed, and if God touches your finances, you'll be maybe financially freer, but eventually you're deader than a doornail. I have sort of a morbid thing I do every morning. I read the obituary column in the Green Bay Press-Gazette. I do. I check off all the people that are croaking that are in my age group. I'm 73. I want to tell you there's a lot of them heading out, right? So all I'm telling you is this. Your time, no matter what, is limited. The Bible says our life is like a vapor. It's what you do for Christ that counts. And so each and every one of us need to have a responsibility. How can I make C3, how can I make the greater church in general great again? The book of Nehemiah. I was going to read you the whole first chapter, but I don't want to take the time. I'm going to paraphrase. Ne Nehemiah was a young Jewish boy that when the nation of Israel fell, he was taken as a captive. He was taken from uh, the region that we know as Israel, that area, when it was overcome by King Artaxerxes and some of his downline of kings and stuff, and he was dragged back to Babylon. And when they took those kids, young people, and it wasn't his fault, right? I mean, he wasn't, he didn't backslide. He went to Sabbath school and, and everything. And now he's tear, torn away from his family and he's put to work in this palace. Through a process of probably being highly integrous and a hard worker, he ends up to be the cupbearer of the king. I wrote a book called The Favor Factor and I talk a little bit about Nehemiah in that book. And what he did is he moved on up. And actually, the cupbearer next to the head of the uh, army, next to almost anything in that nation for that king was the most important job because he controlled all the food, all of the drink, and everything that went into the mouth of the king Artaxerxes. And the reason that they had that kind of person, they loved to have coups back then and knock off the king. Sometimes it wasn't on the battlefield. If they could slip poison into his food supply and kill him, that's an easy way of taking him out. So Nehemiah had to prepare the food, make sure it was sure, and then everything that went before him and his family and the key leaders, he tested. And there was a little time period. If he didn't croak, they ate the food. Now, you got somebody doing that for you, you want him to be loyal, right? 
I mean, he didn't spit stuff out and say, hey, king, have this, and all of a sudden the king falls over dead. But he had a heart for the kingdom. A lot of you need to understand you should have a heart for the gospel kingdom. Now, he's working there. He probably had a deluxe apartment right next to the king. He probably had a top chariot, a great income, highly respected. He could have said, you know what, it's not my fault. I grew up, I came up the hard way, I got a great job, and Israel can just take a jump. He didn't do that, though. Nehemiah 1, if you read the whole thing, some of the leaders and some of the brothers from Israel came back and met with Nehemiah, and he asked right away, how's my homeland doing? And they said, it's bad. The walls of the city are broken down. The men aren't shaving. Back, you know, beards are popular today, but if you wore one back in that context, it was because you were depressed. The men weren't shaving. Things were bad. I mean, the, the, the gates of the city and, and all of the religious spots were just down and out. His heart just broke. And then he, he gets into this whole thing, and it wasn't his fault, but he associates with the problem. It said, you know, God, us and our fathers, and he prayed, Lord, that he prayed for that. And then he, then he took God. You know, there's something about the promises about, of God. I, I love the promises of God. He promises us a lot of things. And it isn't like someone giving you a promise and breaking it. He keeps his promises. So he said, look at here, God. You made these promises to us, and now I want to be a focal person in bringing our people back to understand those promises. Well, then he has to go before the king because now he wants to go back and rebuild the walls. This kid who was a slave, this kid who's got this primo job with the king, he wants to go back to Israel and rebuild the walls. So the, the last verse of chapter 1 is he's going to go before the king. But he prayed this prayer where he said, Lord, give your servant favor today in the presence of this man. Then chapter 2, he goes before him, and the king said to him, Hey, Nehemiah, you've never been sad in my presence before. Now think about that for a minute. He's working for the guy all these years, got this chop job, and, he's, and he said, you've never been sad. How many of you can go to your job tomorrow and say, oh, and you've got a little frown on your face, you've worked there 10 years, and your boss says, what's wrong with you? You've never been sad before. <laughs> Come on. You've had the Monday blues, can't wait till Friday gets here, barely get over the Wednesday hump. Are you following me? Now here's the deal. If you're giving the king this food, you want to keep a good look on your face because you look frowny. You may be thinking, oh, maybe this cat's slipping me a Mickey. Maybe You know what I mean? So he, <laughs> he stepped out, and he said, what's the deal? It must be sadness of heart. And he said, how can I be happy when the, when the kingdom with God's people is in deep, deep doo-doo? Right? Doo-doo. You know. I could have said the C word or the S word, but I thought it wouldn't be appropriate, and I don't want... Jürgen not to have me back again, but I do know Jürgen, and he might say those words once in a while. <laughs> so the king says, you can do it. How long will you be gone, and what do you need? And he had it all figured out. And see, the gospel has everything you need to be a seed to reach people for Christ. You can't cover your shyness. You can't cover anything. You know, right? Moses couldn't talk. He stuttered. And he said, well, your brother can talk. Now, if I stuttered, my brother really can talk. But the reality is, drop the excuses, and let's figure out how we can make the local church great again. Number one, if we want to make the local church great again, you got to stop compromising. I'm telling you what, <clears throat> I've been around a long time. 
And there's a, the, the only good thing about that, and there's a lot of good things. You've seen a lot. You know a lot. You've been there, done that, bought all the T-shirts. But the reality is this. I have seen a great slippage in commitment to base biblical principles, like loving your wife, like your morality, like not taking substances to prop yourself up, doing things that you know are on the line when it comes to your Christianity, some of the stuff you look at at the internet, some of the things that you feed into your minds. You know what? you got to clean up. Those of you who've been around a long time, I, one of my best friends from high school got saved. Uh, actually, he was one of our first converts when we moved back to Green Bay. And Dick and I had gotten drunk together. We actually were blood brothers. We got drunk one time, cut our, our fingers, and crossed our blood. I'm glad the guy didn't have any serious diseases. Or, I'd be a little bit more frightened of that today with all the stuff that's out there. But, I'm, you know, I was drunk. I'd have probably done it anyhow. So I get saved, and I do a radical 180. My girlfriend cuts me loose. I change. My friends think, oh, you're going to one of those kinds of churches. And Dick said to me, Arnie, that church has brainwashed you. I answered back, Dick, I had a dirty old brain, needed a good old washing. And there's a lot of dirty brains sitting in church seats across America today that need to wash out the compromise. They need to, they need to quit going to that site on the computer. They need to quit thinking about the things that aren't right. Are you with me? And I know how that works when I was young. It's not quite as disastrous today as it was when I was young. I still look at the girls. I'm 73, right? Oh, what's wrong with that? But you can't go past that. When I was young, I was driving my not brand new 1965 Chevy Super Sport. I wish I had it today. I see them go through the auction at 50 grand. I paid 3,500 bucks brand new. Can you believe it? I'm driving that nice car in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and there was this beautiful nurse standing on the midway in between the, the two lanes. I checked her out and hit the first person right in front of me. Yep, put a big old dent in that nice car. See, that's what lust will do to you. It'll dent your life. It'll dent your car. It'll dent everything about you. Are you with me today? Paul was teaching Timothy. He said, remember, look back at your relatives and how they lived out their lives. You see, I want to be the kind of guy people can look at and say, you know, I knew Pastor Arnie all these years. One thing about him, he said what he meant. He meant what he said. And to the best of his ability, he lived that. And people are hungry to see people that aren't messed up, people that aren't compromising, people that are going forward, right? You might be a liberal in here today, and when I use the phrase, make the local church great again, all of a sudden you thought, oh, no, he's going to do his best Trump. I'd have to dye my hair a little different, put it down over my head. Are you with me? But, you know, there's a, there's a key thing that we have to do. We can't compromise. And I... Trump has done a lot of stuff in certain areas where we were compromising before. That's just a political opinion. I am a conservative. I will not vote for anybody that thinks abortion's okay. Are you with me? I don't care if everything else benefited me. I still wouldn't vote for it. You wouldn't have had a founding pastor here if his mother would have aborted him. Those of you that liked Brooke a real lot that are still here, you wouldn't have had Brookie around if she was aborted because I adopted both my kids. And the Bible says life is precious. Life starts at conception. People say, well, a woman's got a right to choose. Don't have sex then. Because when those two little things hit, it's not your choice anymore. Can I get a witness from the congregation? You know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm talking about? I could line up things where you've compromised. You've got to stop it. 
And sometimes it's just a little thing. Normally you don't, you know they say when you're on the water, you don't, you don't just go into a storm. You sort of drift into a storm. You sort of let the boat a little loose and all of a sudden it takes you out and all of a sudden the storm comes up. Quit drifting. Take stands. People are hungry to see that. And it will help you. It'll help you even look better when you're older. I'm in that stage of life now when they say, oh, you look good for your age. I went to my high school reunion, man. Oh, babies. The trips around the sun, a lot of those people had, had done a bad service to them. I got in trouble. I, I went to my fourth class reunion, and we drove in, Jan and I did, and went down, and all of these old people were walking in. We were, and I, I actually put my mirror down and looked and see if I looked that bad. Then I was preaching that Sunday in our church, and we were on TV back there, and I said, I went to my class reunion, and I said, it looked like recess at a rest home. And then I told Tim, our, our, our guy that edited, I said, Tim, you know Tim. I said, Tim, don't take that out. Edit that out of my message. He didn't do it. I got nasty grams. But the reality is this. The reality is this. People who live and serve God will last longer, look better, smell better. People who don't compromise, come on now, right? If we're going to make the local church great again, we can't compromise. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just for a moment. I told Vince what I was going to do. What time is it anyhow? Oh, man. If there's any compromise in your life, and you know, you don't have to bow your head. You can just look at me. And you say, you know, Pastor Arnie, maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's something that's got out of control. Maybe when they were praying this morning, there's some kind of addiction or whatever. I don't want it anymore. I want my seed to be healthy so when it it's hitting great soil here at C3. I, I, I just want to lay down all the compromise. You stand up right now. Come on. Stand up. Stand up. That away. Hi. He's got high on his shirt. Hi. How you doing? Thanks for standing up. Anybody else? Come on now. Don't be a coward. You think something. You, you almost ran into a car in front of you one time checking out something with a bad mind. Are you there? Come on now. You don't let your heart get so callous that you're ashamed of it. I tell you what, there are times, you don't have to play yet, I'm not done yet, but you can play if you want to. <laughs> I don't get here that often, but you, you, go ahead if you want to, that's okay. Let's pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that any compromise that's in their life, small, big, rampant, blossoming, will be gone in Jesus' name. Okay, you can sit down. See, I still got two points to go yet, but I'll get through this quick. If we're going to make the church great again, we got to be people of forgiveness, right? we got to be people who forgive. I know some of the most bitter Christians who they, I tell you, you might be in this church because you're ticked off at some pastor somewhere else. You might have gotten divorced. You might have been hurt as a child, maybe even raped by a relative. You might have been verbally abused. You might have had all kinds of crazy stuff. You might have had people cheat on you. You might have got passed over for a position at your company, but you didn't get it, and you don't like it. Forgiveness is nasty. Unforgiveness is nasty. Keep short accounts. Some of you might be here today, and you're mad at your wife. You're mad at your husband. You're mad at your grandpa. You're mad at your boss. You're mad at your neighbors. You know what? It's affecting your seed. I tell you what, when you keep short accounts and you forgive people, 
It's amazing. I wrote a book, The High Cost of Resentment, basically on unforgiveness. I never had much unforgiveness until Mark Gunger, who was her pastor, is her mother's pastor today. I launched him into ministry, helped him do everything, and when we moved out here, he didn't live up to any commitments to us. I had to own it. But I, I, I want, he had an airplane. I wanted him to crash the airplane. I really didn't, but I thought about it. <laughs> I don't know. And finally, man, I, I, I forgave him. We're the best of friends today. And, you know, it was like a 1,000 pounds went off me. But, see, I had to learn that lesson because I never let stuff bother me. My friends used to tell me, Pastor, you're like a Teflon pastor. You know, you just let it go off you. And some of you need to get some spiritual Teflon on you. You need to make forgiveness because you live in this world. There's going to be people cutting in front of you. There are going to be people trying to rip you off. And there's all kinds of stuff. And if we want that seed, you know, okay, like, for example, the room's pretty full today. You know, if you start planting that seed and start praying about outreach and praying about how you can reach your neighbors and see people, your neighbors. I got, I got a guy, we live in a, uh, it's not a 55 and up neighborhood, but most of them are old. <laughs> and uh, they cut the grass. They shovel the snow. I don't let them cut my grass. 97 homes in that subdivision. I'm the only one that cuts my own grass because they don't, I'm into grass, not the kind you cut the kind you not the kind you smoke but anyhow so here's my here's my next door neighbor Dennis and he's mad at the Catholic Church because when he came back from Vietnam he had been home six months earlier on a, a, a break his wife got pregnant he comes back she's a few months from delivery and the local Catholic hospital would not this was back when Vietnam got over, would not deliver the baby because they didn't have health insurance. So therefore, the Catholic Church and Jesus, everything went out the window. The guy's 78 years old. I've made up my mind to help him. I've tried everything. It was about a month ago I was washing my windows. I don't like dirty windows. I'm very, very, I guess the word is anal. I hate to say it because people think the wrong thing, but I guess that means you, you can't stand stuff that's not right. <laughs> you don't like that word either, Vince? That's all right. Everybody has one, let's face it. <laughs> Hello! I told you I was always just a little funny. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm washing my windows, and, and they're all single level. And I'm pretty tall, and I, I wash my windows a lot because I can't stand. You know, I would actually probably, I saw there was fingerprints on the pulpit, Vince, and it just, it bugged me. That car out in the foyer had fingerprints on the doggone windows, and I wanted to go wash them. That's how bad I am. Anyhow, so I'm washing the windows. I'm about three-quarters of the way around the house, and he and his wife are sitting out on their deck, and I said, hey, Dennis, I'll cut your, I'll wash your windows. Now, he can afford to wash his, have his windows washed, wash himself, whatever. And I said, no, Arnie, you don't need to do that. And I said, come on, Dennis, let me do it. And his wife says, let him do it. So I washed the windows. When I'm done, I'm talking to them. I finished up on their patio, and his wife said to me, Arnie, you're an angel. Oh, oh. I said, you have not talked to Jan, right? But here's the deal. That opened the door. They said, why did you do this? And in about five minutes, I had a meeting out of my hand sharing the gospel with them for washing windows. But see, this guy is not serving God or even thinking about God because 50, 60 years ago, they didn't deliver his baby. He's held it all that time. Some of you are older. You're holding on to stuff you shouldn't hold on to. Let it loose. And that's maybe why your seed isn't exploding. That's maybe why you don't have a bunch of your friends in here and your neighbors sitting next to you. 
If you have any unforgiveness in your life, stand up. Come on, we're going to pray it off you right now. Come on. Oh, boy. The devil's got some of you plastered right to your seats. Man, there, I want to tell you what. Unforgiveness is a disease. When I was preaching in Fresno, California on the subject, a lady from Fresno State came up to me. She's head of the psychological department. And, and she said, you know what we have discovered? Unforgiveness and bitterness is the root of mental disease, suicide, stress, and everything else. Now, why do you want to carry that? Now, here you do. Well, here's what you're going to do. We're, I'm going to pray. But if the person you're ticked at or the group you're ticked at, you send them a text, you give them a phone call, you write them a note, right? And you know what will happen? When I email Pastor Mark Gunger, when I return from teaching in India, when I sent him that email, I didn't know how he was going to respond. Five minutes later, I had an answer back. And we rearranged to meet because he knew I had the bitterness. And he knew that in some way he was the cause of it, but yet I'm the one. You see, that, and if you're the offender or if you hurt somebody, apologize. Because if they've got resentment towards you, you're, you've created a mess for them. And we're never going to have a great church in America with a bunch of Christians who are holding on to stuff. Right? You get it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you right now that you're setting people free. Lord, they're going to send letters. They're going to send emails. If the person is dead, if they're close to the cemetery, go lay a note on their gravestone and let them be free in Jesus' name. You can sit down. I'm just about done. <laughs> the poor girl, I scared her. She's not at the piano anymore. I do scare people. But I don't do it with bad breath because I keep these little mints. I want to tell you what. You want to share the gospel. Don't blow them away with your breath. And your body odor. Take a shower. Put some stuff under your arms. You know what I mean? Wash your clothes. My goodness. Easy stuff. Right. Now, here's the last thing to make the local church great again. You know, before I do that, you know, and also, yeah, you come back, guys. It won't take me too long to conclude this. My brother, Jerry, he likes short services. He's a Packer fan, man. If they teach too long in a service, he's going to get home for kickoff. Forget it, boys. I'm going home. We've taped the game, okay? I'm flying out this afternoon at 4.30. He will not know the score. He's taped it at my house. We're going to get there about 12.30 tonight, and we're going to watch that game at 12.30 tonight. That's what, but, you know, that's great. But I think we need some Jesus fans like that, right? <laughs> and then churches fight against each other. If you're, and, and I should have got into this because I, I get excited and get ahead of myself. But you know what? I've studied the Bible. Nowhere do I find demons fighting against demons. Nowhere do I see principalities fighting against principalities, right? Man, they're organized out to mess us up. Oh, but the church is different. I hear these Christians all the Oh, did you hear what Mark did? Did you hear what Jesse did? Did you hear what, uh, you know, on and on and on. You go online and you see these people commenting about their pastor and all that stuff. I said, come on. We're in this together. I've done stuff, stupid stuff, got people mad at me. And, you know, here's the deal, friends. If we're going to get to the point where if we're going to see our seed explode in outreach, you have to deal strongly with all three of these points. What was the first point, by the way? Do you remember? Not compromise. What's the second point? Forgive. And the third point is if you're not saved, get saved. If you are saved, realize there's a great commission 
to go out into the highways and byways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be full. So I, I want you to get excited about reaching people for Christ. Man, I am so, I still, the day I die, I want to, I don't, I'm not looking forward to the act of death. Am I going to rattle, you know, is it going to hurt or whatever, but I'm looking forward to what's on the other side, right? But I also realize beyond, if one thing I know for certain, years ago there's a great hymn writer, and I don't want to sing hymns much anymore, his name was Iris Stanfield. If you ever watched Billy Graham and they used to sing at the end, there's room at the cross for you, though millions have come. There's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Ira wrote that song. And you know when he wrote it, his wife had left him. For another man, he was pastoring a church. He didn't know what to do. He got a phone call that his wife had been killed in a car accident. His little girl was along, but she didn't get killed. And instead of being bitter, he sat down at his piano and began to poon. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. And see, there's still room for you, your family, and your relatives. There's still room for your neighbors. There's still room for that fellow workman. I could tell you story after story of people that have caught this and how it grew our church to hundreds, from hundreds to thousands. And now as I cruise around Green Bay and sit in a restaurant or walk through an airport or preach at another church, I hear, oh, Pastor Arnie, thank you so much. And you know what? That's, that's, that's the greatest seed you could plant. And when you start doing that, my brother Jerry was a binge alcoholic. I guess you'd call it that, right, Jerry? I was pastoring a little church in northeastern Wisconsin, and a good friend of mine, Al Palmquist, He's the one that found Brooke for us when we adopted Brooke. Al was a, a street cop from Minneapolis, wrote a book called The Minnesota Connection. Back in the days, broke up a prostitution rink between Minneapolis and New York. Sold, wrote a book that sold 8 million copies in a month called The Minnesota Connection. I think you could still find it. And he preached on a Sunday in my first little church up in northeastern Wisconsin. And Jerry gave his life to Christ, turned him right around, his family serving God, he's serving God. He's a great witness. He was a car salesman. He prayed with people in the dealership. He was always concerned. You see, that's another seed that exploded because he was set free, right? I want you to stand with me. We're going to close here. Thanks for letting me come, by the way, even though you had no choice. <laughs> I love that shirt. Hi, how you doing? Man, I love it. Oh, there's another hi here. Hi, team. We're all on the high team, and we're not high on stuff to get us there either other than Jesus, right? All right. If you're here today, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and you don't have Christ in your heart. Maybe you've had unforgiveness and bitterness, and you've been tramping around doing stuff you shouldn't do, but you say, you know what, Pastor Arnie, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today. Doesn't mean you're joining this church. Doesn't mean that you have to come back. Even though we would love to have you come back, we'd love to have you join. But we're more important of you joining the church of churches, and that's knowing Christ as your Savior. Who would raise their hand and say, you know what, that's me, Pastor Arnie. Put it up right now. The lights are sort of blinding. I don't know how many hands went up. Maybe not a lot. You know what? In a way, that doesn't surprise me because probably most of you here love God and you're serving God, right? And you've been having 
the Holy Spirit for the last couple of years in a very special way under the leadership of Jurgen and your pastors here, getting you ready. But you just can't come in here every week and sing the songs and hug one another and high five and, and jump up and down with the, with the team, which is great. But if that doesn't charge your seat up to break out and reach others, then you're missing a lot. Then you're just going to the table and gorging yourself. You know what I found out in the church, especially people that have been tending a long time? They're educated far above their level of responsibility. I, I can't hear much new anymore. I've heard great preachers. I've studied. I've preached. I listened. But the thing that turns my crank is seeing people come to Jesus and seeing people that I'm pastoring or that I've helped be a part of lead people to Jesus. Vince was just a little half-pint peanut with us skiing down the hills and, and way ahead of us when he was like five years old. But God saw him, not as a skier, but as a man of God. He saw his dad who sat, he didn't add that I think Phil had been smoking the stuff that I don't cut. All right, where are you, Phil? You've got to be here somewhere. Oh, he just ran out mad. Anyhow, and you see life's change, right? See, with me, you get what you see, and sometimes you don't like it. Now, how many of you say, Pastor Arnie, I want to see my seed. That seed that's going to explode. And see, many lives change, families change, generations change. That's one thing good about living as long as I, I see. I see a little guy back years ago in the mid-'80s skiing down a hill. Now I see him up here leading a church. That's wonderful, man. How many of you say, you know, that's what I want in my life? Come on, lift your hands right now. Come on, put them up. If that's what you want to do, if you want to just sit where you are and not be effective of the gospel, don't put your hand up. I'll still love you, but I want to slap you. <laughs> How you doing? Father, I thank you for this church. And sweetheart, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I hope I didn't scare you. I'm a little scary at times. Anyhow, I really want to see you this week. Look at your neighbors. Look at your co-workers. And that doesn't mean you tell them they're going to hell and they got to come to your church. But start living a life in such a way that you're going to be asked, why are you so different? Why are you so happy? Why don't, you, why don't you hold things? Why are you making such good decisions? People want that because that's the way you were created to live. So, Father, I covenant with Pastor Vince and Becca and Jurgen and his team that this will be a great outreach and that this, this, this place will not be big enough. In a couple of weeks, you'll go to a bigger one. Multiple services again. Amen. Can we give the Lord a shout of victory? Amen. And I'm done. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Salt Lake City, go to c3saltlakecity.com.